of a strange passage, really. We're on a time-wise, we're about four months away, I reckon, from the cross. And Jesus, remember, he knows what's coming. And last week, we looked at the shepherd, the good shepherd, and that's him. We looked at him being the gate, the doorway, and I pointed out on the cross on the screen that there is only one way, and that's his words, not mine, one way to access, and that is to come through the cross. And then, you know, we sing a song like we've just sung, and the words are beautiful, and there's not one person in this room who, if you mean those words, you will know they hurt. There are times in your life when you go through a difficult time. You probably go through a time which exhausts you. And if you've not been there yet, let me speak prophetically, you're on the way. It will come your way. And um, sometimes in those in those times, we might question, you know, Jesus, I thought you loved me. I, I, I didn't plan on this happening. And, you know, are you really in control? And all, all those things. And, and the longer you've been doing the walk, if you've been doing it in any sense the way I think he wants us to do it, you get through. You know, you, you'll, you'll come through it. And when you look back... You, you actually recognise you've grown a bit. You, you recognise that actually you've... The, the situation was really difficult, but actually maybe you're a bit stronger through going through some of this stuff. And uh, while we've been away, not in sunny Spain, hence the paleness, we've been in rainy Bakewell, in a tin can. <laughs> and I took the book of the month that we're reading. I don't know, if, has anyone started the book of the month yet? Do you like it? Oh, someone decided. I think it's brilliant. And that's the great thing about the book of the month. They sell them on Amazon. Yeah? I've got yours on order, Ken, don't worry. The, it, the guy who writes the, the book of the month, sometimes I, I think with books, it's where you're at. It's actually where what you're doing or what God is doing in your life at the time. And, and we don't have to agree on the book of the month. That, that's not what it's about. But this guy puts a, puts a, a, a one-line statement in, and it stuck with me all week. And, it, and his one-line statement, if you've not got to it yet, is this, that actually as God is taking you through your journey, he's more interested in making you holy than he is in making you happy. Have you read that one yet? It's coming. Just shows how much reading I did. I feel, feel, <laughs> feel quite comforted. Must, must be near the end. Well, think about what the author's just said. God is interested in making you holy. And holiness is set apart. It's, it's being set aside for God. Sometimes, as Christians, particularly when we're beginning our journey, we want it all about us. We're, we're a bit like Joshua, a bit like Seth, that actually meet my needs. That changes. It changes because that's what he does. And there is a process where actually your needs come second, third, fourth, fifth, or whatever. And the priority is to make you more like Jesus. And that links back to the song that Kay and Matt have just led us in. We are the clay. He's the potter. You know, and sometimes we can behave like we're the potter, telling him what the design should look like. 
that's not the right page you're on. And if you're there, perhaps it's time to revisit the Word of God. So with all that as, as an introduction, by way of introduction, let me say this. There are some people, despite the evidence that you present before them, will never ever believe. And that should sadden everyone in the room. It should cause a sadness in, inside, inside our hearts. It does for me. And sometimes, and I've known people like this, I know people like this, I can say to them, well this is what the word of God says, and they can say, well I don't believe the word of God. So you can turn around and you can say, well I can show you um, real people. I could call people out of this room, this very room, and say, this living God has changed this person's life. Is that not true? I can then say to them, it's changed my life. But they will still not believe. And it's always been the case. And they are fairly easy to identify. And then we come to the other group. And that's the group who think they believe. And they're the scary ones. The ones that can talk a few other words, but actually, is their life showing what Jesus wants to show? Oh, that's got your attention. Uh, you have to decide which group you're in. You know, the longer I do this walk, I don't know, 20 odd years, nearly 30 years, the more I will say this to you, the more I love Jesus. The more I know I need him. Uh, you know, uh, and, and do I have it all boxed off? Absolutely not. Do I mess up? I did in 19... When was it? Okay. <laughs> no, be gentle, Matt. Very quick, but gentle. No, look, we all mess up. We all mess up, sometimes big style. But which when you get up off the floor, set your face again and move forward. So we're going to cover a couple of those issues. The first one, I just want to set the scene because they're going to ask Jesus a question. And it's a legitimate question, but it's a legitimate question you don't need to keep asking. Once he's answered you, you need to do what Kenny said. Do you know what I think the most profound thing Kenny said when he was opening the service was... I choose to believe. And and that is so profound because actually, if you don't believe, what you've done is, is I choose not to believe. You're still making a choice. You know, one chooses one way, another chooses another way. There is no fence. You either yes or you're either no. It's an in-out campaign, a bit like Britex. Very political today, Ken. Yeah, it's good linking. Okay, move on. Let's have a look at the first scripture, please, Graham. Bit of background just before we move on. John chapter 5, and this was the healing of a man who had been paralysed for 38 years. And Jesus had wandered amongst this crowd of people and he'd healed him. And this is what he said. Get up, pick up your mat and walk. And then all the religious people, and you know if you've been coming to this church how much I love religious people. So the, the Jewish leaders said to the man, 
who had been healed, it is the Sabbath, the law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. And so they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? And the man who was healed had no idea who it was. That would mess with your head if you're one of these who believe that you need a lot of faith to get healed because he doesn't even know who he's talking to. doesn't demonstrate any faith. But Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. And later Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, see that you are well again, stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Let's move on. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. I I struggle on that passage. Does anybody else struggle? You think he's shopping Jesus? Or is he telling them something for a different reason? So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. And in his defense, Jesus said to them, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. They made a decision. They're going to try and kill Jesus. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God, his own father, notice this, making himself equal with God. Jesus making himself equal with God. And the Jewish leaders knew exactly what his claim was. Everyone see it? It's fairly straightforward in the text. Okay, let's just show you another one. John chapter 8. He says this, is in a conversation with him. He's already claimed to be the light of the world. He says, you are not yet 50 years old, they said to him, and you are claiming to have seen Abraham. And this is his reply. Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, two words... I am. Where do those two words fit in the Old Testament? Exodus. Come on, Bible student. There, thank you, Kenny. He's going to go well at Mattersea. The burning bush incident, Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. He stands before the bush. Sorry, before the bush. He stands before the bush. (laughs) He stands before the bush. It's on fire. It's not being consumed. And Moses, which must get your head round, is talking to a bush, which is burning. And he says, who do I say sent me? And he says these words, I am. And if you look at the depth of that word, it is this, look. I am whatever you need me to be today. Because, as Matt linked as well, he can fulfill his manifesto. You need him to be this person, let's say your healer, then he can be your healer today. You need him to be your provider, he can be your provider today. It's never because he doesn't want to do something that actually he may not answer those prayers. But if he's not answering your prayer the way that you and I think he maybe should answer them, then I go back to the book of the month statement that actually something else is at work. And the something else is, is he's making you more like Jesus. And there comes a time in your walk where actually you look back and you say, had he answered the prayer how I thought he might answer the prayer, I wouldn't be actually further along in my walk. That's not a cop-out. That's really good theology. 
He can do whatever he wants to do because he is God. There should be no doubt about that. And therefore, if he he's not a mean God, you don't have some God in the sky who doesn't want to bless his children, but there's another agenda at work always with him. And we sing the songs, and those songs are just words, but if they come out of your heart, yeah, you are the potter, I am the clay. They knew exactly what he had claimed to be. Verse 59. At this they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. Several times through John's Gospel, you see this picture of the religious authorities actually attempting to kill him. They will succeed later on in the Gospel. They'll only succeed when he's fulfilled his mission. What does that tell you for your walk, your life? Anything? Nothing? Do you know you can't die until he's ready for you to die? It's quite comforting really, isn't it? Actually, he protected Jesus while he walked the earth as a man. He's in control. No matter what someone is trying to do, until your time is ready, until your work on earth is done, you stay in put. Sometimes I go up and I think, oh man, <laughs> can't wait sometimes. Does that surprise people? No? In those difficult times? Alright, let's go to the text then. Where, where we're up to with John. Remember last week we, we talked about the shepherd, the good shepherd, the gate, the flock, the different sheep, all those things. No, that's, oh sorry, you're right, I've forgotten one passage, John chapter 11. This is forthcoming attraction, this is next week, but I've stuck it in to show you what they actually think. Many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary, Lazarus' brother has died, and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. So you've got this picture, you've got this guy who's been dead for four days, and he's smelling in the cave, Jesus speaks to him and out he comes, and you'd think that would convince most people, wouldn't it? You'd think that actually seeing someone who's been dead for four days would be the clincher. No? Well, it didn't always work that way. They came up with a better plan. I know, we'll kill him and Lazarus. So poor old Lazarus had to die twice. The chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin and said, what? What are we to accomplish in, they asked. Here is this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. Well, that would be a disaster, wouldn't it? Thank you, Sam. And then the Romans will come and take away both our temple, our place, our standing in the community, because everyone looks at us, we're the religious people, and not only will the Romans do that, they'll take away our nation. Do you, really, do you see the, the contradiction in their statement? They've just said everyone will believe in him. Well, if the Romans believed in him, that's the last thing they'd be doing. They're not interested in Jesus. They're interested in this life today. Their standing, their position in the community, their wealth, their prestige, all those things, and they are not 
believing because they choose not to believe. And so they want to get rid of the problem. Now let's see what the question they're going to ask him today. John chapter 20, sorry, John chapter 10 verse 20. Many of them said he's demon possessed and raving mad. Why listen to them? But others said these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Remember this is the man who had been born blind and in the Isaiah in particular there are several passages which speak about when Messiah comes the blind will see the miracles. Ever play, prayed for anyone who's been blind? I have. He didn't get healed, but I was there ready for it. He didn't get healed because actually that's what Jesus decided to do. But you know what? When I prayed for him, I believed that Jesus could heal him. Ever prayed for anyone who's dead? How do you know? If you, He might want you to raise the dead. I have. Did the dead person rise? No. Is Jesus still God? Absolutely. Something else is cooking in the background. Something else, his purpose is working out. Verse 22. Then came the festival of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter. It's probably, actually, December the 25th. The the festival of dedication goes back to a time when Syria invaded Israel in 168 BC. And as part of them invading, they sacrificed a pig in the temple. A sow. And they sacrificed this um, pig to the god of Jupiter. And it took three years for the Jews to rise up and someone called Maccabees kicks them out in the end and they rededicate the temple in 165 BC. So 165 years before Jesus is born, there or thereabouts, the temple is cleansed and the sacrifice system, the worship can start again. And Jesus is there. When you dedicate something or someone, do you know what you do? You set them apart for God. That's what it means to be set apart for God. Think about who's present at the the festival of dedication. And Jesus was in the temple courts walking in Solomon's colonnade. Anyone familiar with Solomon's colonnade and what's going to happen in a few years hence? A few months hence, to be fair. He does, thank you, yeah. I wonder, as he's walking, right? You enter the story. Jesus walking around this colonnade. And he knows the cross is coming. He knows what's going to happen. I wonder if he's thinking, ah, man, Peter, you're in for a surprise. You know, when you're here in a few months' time and you've thought everything was lost, you saw me go to that cross, you saw me die, you denied me, Peter, three times, and yet in this very place that I'm walking today, Peter, you're going to have a fantastic miracle. I'm going to turn something, Peter, and make it just so you can build a foundation on. I bet he was thinking something like that. 
The early church met in Solomon's colonnade. There was no church buildings. They had a habit of going to the temple all the time. They wouldn't go to the temple as into the temple courts for the sacrifice. But this was a natural meeting point. And also bearing in mind what Jesus had said to them, I'm going to make you fishers of men. It's no good fishing where there's no fish. Ever done that? Any fishermen in the room? It's a boring game when there's no fish. <laughs> but he's told them to go fishing for men. So they go where the catch is. This is where the early church is going to be formed. It must have brought Jesus some comfort, I think, thinking those thoughts about what he's got to go through, why it was worth it. And then, of course, the religious people come across him. Let's go and move on. The Jews who were gathered around him, and the text really means they encircled him. They're pressing him now. They've got him cornered. They're really going to go for it, saying, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Are you this one we are expecting? What is wrong with that statement? Come on, I've given you the answers this morning. They should have known. He's already told them. He's claimed to be God. Several times. The I am statements. Before Abraham was, I am. Who else can heal the lame and the blind? But God. You and I can't do it, can we? Tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you. But you don't believe. How sad. It's still happening today. You believe something, we just believe different things. What is belief then? It's silence, obviously. (laughs) It's a new way of spelling silence. Come on, Matt. Trusting something you can't necessarily see or prove. It's a decision, isn't it? I sometimes use the chair as the illustration. You can leave your toes, Joe, I won't hurt you. How do I know a chair will hold my weight? I get on it. How does Kenny know? Well, he's got greater faith. (laughs) I've been in trouble for that on the way down the motorways. Moving on, try not to look at your wife. I did tell you, but you do not believe the works I do in my Father's name testify about me. Think about what you know has happened. They know what he's done. They will even in the next chapter know beyond doubt that Jesus has raised the dead. And they still will not believe. Belief is something you do. It's not something the person next to you can do for you. No matter how much you want that to happen, it's an individual decision. Some do it, some don't. Nothing's ever changed. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. Ouch. One of those awkward texts. One of those delicate texts where some of you in the room will think one way predestination and some will think the other way 
both are right. And somehow, from the holiness of God, and I did it last week, think of the cross. There's a door on the cross. You can come to Jesus through the cross. And on this side of the door is written, everyone can come. Whoever wants to come, come to me through the cross. Believe that I took your sins, died in your place. Come on, come through. And yet from heaven's side, there's another plaque that says, I know my sheep. Look, I don't have to explain it, I just have to show you what it says. That'll keep you awake at night and good. You've got all eternity to discuss it with him. But he says this, look, you're not my sheep. If you don't believe, that's because you're not one of his sheep. If you do believe, you are in the flock. If you want to be in the flock, believe. Problem solved. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. Who are you following? It's a great, a great text. It's a great text to, to say because you can judge yourself. Kenny's brought some great statements this morning. The Sermon on the Mount. You try and follow that. You need a saviour living inside you to do it. To come close. But if the willingness and the heart is there, do you know what? You're his sheep. The pass mark isn't 100%. The pass mark is the desire to actually follow. I want to be like Jesus. I'll go on record and ask the one person who knows in this room, am I like Jesus? Not yet. <laughs> ah. I thought she was going to say, not on your nelly, but there you go. <laughs> She's being gracious. But I'll tell you what, I know this much. I am, in his, I am one of his sheep. I don't need anyone to tell me. I know, because every moment of every day, barring the ones that are failing, I try and be like Jesus. And that's not bad. They follow me. Look what I get. I give them eternal life. And they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Do you know what? You've only got to see little Joshua come into the room. And everyone smiles, doesn't he? He puts his hand out and you get him. It ain't up to him when I let go of his hand. He sometimes... Pulls and everything. But if he's my responsibility, we got him. You know, we were out with Martin and Dawn at the flower show and Joshua had reins on. Because he, he might run where he shouldn't go. Isn't that like us? Sometimes we run where we shouldn't go. And I imagine heaven's got a big rein on us and says, No! You're not going there. That's not a healthy place to go. These are the words of Jesus. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one, no one will snatch them out of my hand. 
My father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. What's that a picture like? That's like Martin's got them on one side and Dawn's got him on the other side. Joshua's going nowhere, is he? That's you and I. That's, that's a double, I don't know what you would call it. Double whammy? Well, you, you're not getting free from the one who's greater than all. Jesus has got hold of you and the Father's got hold of you. I think you're fairly safe. I think he knows his sheep and no one's nicking his sheep. Does that, does that bring assurance to people? It should really bring us assurance. It doesn't say Jesus has got one hand, God the Father's got one hand, everything you ask for I'll give you. That's, is that here? That's the message version. Oh, no. He doesn't say that. He just says no one's getting a hold of you. And you've got eternal life. Now he's going to get in the face of it. I and the Father are one. Look, you might get Jehovah's Witnesses knocking on your door. And the Jehovah's Witnesses will say, well, Jesus, yeah, good fella. Maybe some of them even believe he's an angel. Take them to this passage. And take them to the response that the Jewish leaders made. I and the Father are one. I and the Father are one. Again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. He's just made himself equal with God. You've got God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Three separate identities. Separate, but they're all God. Is that three gods? No. Are you glad you came to church? Get your head round it. That's fine. They're all God. Trinity. We'll teach on it at Bible study one day. But Jesus said to them, I've shown you many good works from the Father, for which of these do you stone me? Come on then, cough to that. We're not stoning you for any good work, they said, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. There is your answer to the JWs on the door. That is what the authorities believed he was doing, and that's exactly what Jesus did. He made a claim to divinity. In flesh, by the way. Walking amongst mankind. Taking on this. For one reason only. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I have said you are gods? Notice the small g. If you call them gods to whom the word of God came and scripture cannot be set aside, what about the one whom the Father set apart as his very own and sent into the world? In Psalm 82, it gives this picture of a courtroom. And the courtroom is where people are sat judging other people. And that's the small g. He's saying you've got authority and they're making judgments on man. David is writing this psalm, so he's quoting that. But look at verse 36. What about the one whom the Father set apart as his very own and sent into the world? 
We've had it in John 3.16. For God so loved the world. Different missions, you can look at it this way. God the Father sends the Son on a rescue mission. Do you think if there was any other way he would have chosen a different way? Do you think that it didn't hurt God the Father? Think about giving your son up. Can't, can you? What does it show then from the Father's perspective about you and I? Fantastic, right? Yeah, his love. This isn't some random act. This is a decision made in heaven. And if you allow your imagination to run, you can see a conversation going on. You can see a conversation where the Father is looking down at these people. Notice this, before the people were even made. And saying, who's going to save them? These people whom I love are going to mess up so badly that they're going to go to hell. That they're going to have an eternal separation from the very person who loves them so much. From their creator. And you know what? We're just clay. We're just mud. Aren't we? Isn't Isn't that what we are? And then he breathed into us and he makes us into something beautiful. And the father then says, how can we rescue them? How can we save them? And then you can see Jesus coming forward. Send me. Send me. That should pull your heartstrings. Set apart, sanctified as his very own and sent into the world on a mission. Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy because I am God's son? Do not believe me unless I do the works of my Father. Well, you've got the word of God. Is he doing what the scriptures foretold he would do? Absolutely. Is he doing what a loving father would do to his children? Absolutely. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. This unity, this closeness, The depth of it is astounding. They've seen the miracles. Think about it. The feeding of the 5,000 that John has detailed. The healings that has gone on. The water into wine. All these things were not done out of sight. Is God still active today? In your life, in my life? Then they testify to something. Let's move it on and I'll get to the recap. Again they tried to seize him but he escaped their grasp. And then Jesus went back across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptising in the early days where he stayed. Many people came to him and they said though John never performed a sign all that John said about this man was true gone back to where John the Baptist was doing his ministry. That is the last time he will be in Jerusalem until the Passover. 
In other words, let's, let's nail it down. That will be the last time some of the religious people hear those words from Jesus. That might be their last time that actually they have a chance to believe and receive eternal life. And many of them chose not to believe. What a, what a sobering thought. That actually there are times in our life, because of the grace of God, where we get to hear the good news of God. We get to hear about this son who died in our place. We get to be around people whose lives have been touched by the living Saviour. And you can come and you can go and you don't necessarily believe. But there comes a time, actually, where it's the last time. Where it's the last time that you get that chance. They don't know when, whether it's the last time. The next time they see him, they kill him. And then there is the other side of the coin. Wherever Jesus is presented, there's always those that will come. There's always those that will make a response and come to him and believe in him. I wonder what today is for people in the room. Is today the last time some of you will hear? It's not a bad... There's no pressure. Yeah, there is actually. I lied then. Sorry about that. There is a pressure to be serious about this. A pressure to analyse your own walk. You'll be in one of two camps. You will be... The person who knows that you are doing your best to follow Christ. There'll be those that actually say, well, I don't believe. I see the evidence, I hear the stories, but in my free will, I choose not to believe what that man says with a microphone or what that book says time after time. I choose not to believe. That's a dangerous place to be if you are in that camp. And then there's the other one that I said at the beginning. The other one that thinks they believe but their life doesn't show it. He says this. If you love me, keep my commandments. I often use this. In, in my wedding ring, and in Kay's ring, it says love in action. Anyone who is around us knows that we love each other. Because it looks like something. It looks like something. I can be around other people and be friends with other people, but it doesn't look the same as it does when I'm around Kay. Is that not fair? Then you can take that analogy... And apply it in your own life. You can take it and say, I'm a believer because it looks like something. Because it does. Doesn't it? It's as simple as that. I'm a believer because it looks like something. Whatever the something is, probably depends on your journey at the moment. 
So we'll end on a high. I'll give you an illustration. I'll give you the picture again. Jesus on one hand, God the Father on another hand, and no one is going to snatch you out of either of those. Amen. Amen.